Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Take your Bibles today and turn to the book of Romans chapter 5, the book of Romans chapter 5, doing a series, we're in the third part of this called Sufficient, Unlocking the Mystery of God's Grace, okay? So grace is a term that we've always heard since we've been in church, and I, I really, I really want to just really walk through and give us an understanding of what grace is and, you know, a, a full understanding of that. So we're going through the book of Romans, we're going to go through uh, 1 through 8 to kind of really unpack what grace means in all of its forms. Now, let me just say, too, Romans is a book that'll take you deeper, okay? If you'll stay with me, if you'll engage uh, while we're going through this series, man, this is some things that can help you really go deep in your faith. Some people just stay, like, right on the surface. They don't go, you know, they don't go any deeper, but I'm telling you, there's great treasure in God's Word the deeper that you go. So this is a little deeper dive, but it's okay. From time to time, we need to, you know, we need to do that. So in, in previous weeks, we've learned about God's grace through God's anger and wrath, Romans uh, 1 and 2. God's anger and wrath and judgment and eternal punishment. We talked about that, you know, what in bad shape we were spiritually. And then we talked about God's grace in, in, the, in the, the first part. Last week, we talked about two examples of Abraham's life uh, where we saw the futility of works and how to obtain the righteousness of God through faith. So one of those examples was when Abraham received the promise. The other example was when he was 100 years old and his wife was 90 years old and they had a baby. And let me tell you, I walked you through that night of romance. And let me just say, I had a lot more detail I was going to add, but I ran out of time. I was really going to illustrate that entire evening for you, for a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. But that is truly the promise of God. Uh, so you can look at that. We talked about just through the simple act of faith, we can receive the righteousness of God. Uh, we've talked about justify. I'm going to give you these terms and concepts. And if you can remember these, man, it unlocks the rest of the New Testament. It's a justify, justification. It's a, an official pronouncement. It's a legal term that we don't use a lot today. Official pronouncement from the judge that you're not guilty and you're now free. So we'll see that in just a moment. We talked about the law. It represents God's covenant. When you read this, represents God's covenant to the Jewish people through 613 commands given to uh, regulate uh, Jewish life. So uh, there was trying to obtain righteousness through the law. We looked last week, righteousness through works. Any religious action that seeks to earn God's favor, any attempt to justify oneself before God makes on based on meritorious action, so trying to work yourself into salvation, work yourself into the righteousness of God. That's what it's talking about, righteousness by works, but normally it just uses the term works. Then we talked about righteousness by faith, or sometimes it just refers to the word righteousness, or sometimes faith. We talked about that last week, experiencing God's salvation 
and righteousness by simply believing and trusting in God's promise through uh, promise for us through Jesus Christ. So that's a, another thing, righteousness by faith. But the big, the big definition, the big thing that we are unpacking and grabbing as they relate to these other things is grace, okay? Grace is an act of God's love and mercy toward us. Grace draws and makes you aware of God's love. So grace is the one that initially you know, kind of knocks on your heart's door. Grace is what reveals God's plan of salvation. So once the Lord has gotten your attention, it is grace that unfolds God's salvation through the cross of Jesus. It is grace that transforms your heart. The law would never transform. Grace changes us. Grace cleanses our heart. Shame, guilt, all of that is gone away when grace begins to work in our heart. Grace forgives your past, whatever you've done. Grace justifies and declares you innocent of all the charges. And grace reconciles you back to God. So when we talk about grace... It is all of those things that are working in our heart. Now, if you kind of grab those definitions and understandings there, I'm just telling you, it will unlock, you know, Hebrews. It will unlock Galatians to you. So Galatians 5, questions we're going to answer today. How can I really know that I'm saved? What about when I sin after I say I'm saved? Do I need to get re-saved if I'm tr struggling with sin after salvation, am I really saved? If I'm uh, going through a hard time in my life, did I do something wrong? We're going to walk through those questions today. All right, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Everybody got your Bibles, your devices? It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read it slowly this morning so we can make sure we get the fullness of, of this passage. So Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, made not guilty... And we're free, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, trusting the promise, simply trusting the promise of Jesus through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God through whom we have gained access by faith into this Grace, there's that word again, in which we now stand, okay? All right, so let's look at that. We've been justified by or through faith. So let me, I'm going to add a little fuller definition to the term justified this morning, all right? So let me kind of illustrate this this morning. So I want you to, they're going to put an image up here of a courtroom. So I want you to get that in your mind, okay? I want you to think of a courtroom. I want you to think of, you know, uh, uh, some of you have been there in your previous life or, you know, before salvation. So I want you to get very legally minded here. Think of, think of the court, the courtroom there, okay? All right, you know, like, you can't handle the truth. Got that line? Okay, so I mean, get in, get in a courtroom mode here, all right? So, you are on trial, okay? You're on trial for breaking God's law. I'm going to illustrate this to you. We're going to expand justification just a little bit. And the judge is reading the list of charges uh, against you, okay? All the sin that you've broke, all, all the sin that you've done, all right? 
So we're on trial here. He's, re- he's reading this. Now, these aren't false charges. These are what you have done, everything you have done. And I just want you to know, at some point in your life, you've got to account for your sin. It can be in the courtroom of justification, or it can be at the judgment at the end of time when you stand before God. But there is a day that you stand before the Almighty Judge, and you give an account for what you have done in this particular life. So, all the charges are read uh, that, that you have done. And you plead guilty. You plead guilty. I'm, I'm guilty. There, everything that you said, everything, all the uncomfortable stuff, all the bad stuff, all the skeletons in the closet that no one knew about but God, I am guilty of all of that. Okay? So when you announce that you're guilty, we, the judge now uh, announces that because you've pled guilty, you are now innocent and free to go. Excuse me? Did I hear that correctly? I just confessed to this. Yes, you are now innocent and free to go. Well, how would you feel? What would be your emotions? I mean, whoa, are you kidding me? Really? Really, I mean, I was, I was ready for punishment that I deserved for, for what I had done, but now I, I, I am free. And let me just say, we're justified by faith. So when he says this, you know, there is no double jeopardy. You know what that means? It's a legal term that says you cannot be tried again once you've been declared innocent, that you cannot be tried again against those charges. So there's no double jeopardy. There is no partial forgiveness. You know, the Lord didn't go down your list and go, you know, 1 through 10. Man, I can forgive that, but I'm just telling you 12 through 15. Man, i got to think about that one for a while. No way. When He grants justification, when He says not guilty, and you are free, to go, that was with all the sins that you confessed to, you know, then and and in the future, all right? So now, through justification, your record is clean. Your record is clean, okay? So you leave the courtroom, high five, we are so excited because we thought we were getting punishment. We thought we were getting eternal punishment. And now, all of a sudden, I'm free. How does that make me feel? Oh, man, I'm so happy. I'm so excited about that. But, but as you leave the courtroom, as you leave the courtroom, you pass Calvary. And you see a man on a cross. And at the foot of the cross lays that list of your sins. And then the light bulb goes on about justification, what it it really is, okay? I am free, and I have been, you know, I I have been, been forgiven, and I am free only because the penalty of my sin was laid upon Jesus, Okay, that's the fuller picture of justification. So I've been giving you this definition of justification, the official pronouncement from the judge, you are not guilty and are now free. Okay, now I want to add this to to give the fuller 
understanding the official pronouncement that you are not guilty, but are now righteous in God's sight. You are now free because Christ is paying the penalty for your sins. So you walk in freedom, but yet the penalty for, for your sin and iniquity was laid upon Christ. Now listen to me. God cannot overlook sin even in the life of His own Son. Okay? That's how serious, that's how serious sin and brokenness is to God. So when Jesus said, I'll take the penalty for that, then He literally had to pay the penalty for all of our sins. So now we walk away instead of happy and exuberant that we have been freed from the penalty, we realize in that moment that the, we weren't just freed from the penalty, that someone else took the penalty, and now our attitude changes. Now instead of just being happy and rejoicing, now there is this brokenness that comes into our lives. Now there is this thankfulness for someone who loves me enough to take the penalty for my sin. Now, instead of just being happy, I fully understand what Jesus did for me on the cross. And now, instead of just giving high fives, there is deep worship in my heart and thanksgiving for what Jesus did in my life. Now listen to me. It's called substitutionary death. It's a big word, but it's not a hard word. Substitutionary death. Jesus Christ took the full punishment that we deserve for our sins as a substitute in our place. So you never fully get the full picture of justification until you know that the penalty for our sin was paid by Jesus. It's a substitutionary death. I was headed there. I was headed for punishment. But Jesus took that for me. Now, I'm going to give you a passage that talks about his substitutionary death. Okay, And I want you to count the times that the word our, O-U-R, is used. He's going he's to show you what Christ took and what we got, okay? So I want you to count the, the, the times that we use the word our, but I want you to look at the full understanding of the substitutionary death of Jesus, all right? Isaiah 53, look at this, substitutionary. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. So some people thought Jesus was on the cross, you know, for his own, you know, for something that he had done. Okay, that's what they thought at the cross. This is this man's a sinner, but in actuality, that wasn't. What happened? Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. Keep reading. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Wow. Hey, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Man, that, that, there, there's never been another selfless act on the earth like that. He took all of that sin and suffering and that's what he got through his substitutionary death. That is the full picture of justification. So when you read that word, justify, justify, justification, you've got to know that yes, we were set free in the courtroom, but it was only because Jesus took the penalty for our sins upon his back and the sinless, spotless lamb was crucified uh, before in, in our place. And I just want to take a moment this morning to stop where we are at can we give praise? Can we give thanks? Can we say for a moment, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you for taking our place. Jesus, thank you that we are free this morning. Jesus, we thank you that our life is new because of your sacrifice, your substitution on the cross. Come on, let's just praise him. Just praise him all across this place this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So when you read that word, that's the full understanding of that term, okay? Now let's keep walking through this, all right? Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified, you've got the word, I'm free, I'm the righteousness of God. He's taken my sin, he gave me his righteousness, all right, I'm free because of the penalty that he paid on his back. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, simply believing in the promise of Jesus, of, of, of salvation, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so let's look at the peace with God. Okay, so now listen. A lot of times when we use the term peace, we think of peace like, I'm going through a trial. I need my heart calmed. Uh, so we use that definition of peace. That is, not, that is not the definition of this particular passage. Peace with God means the fighting is over. Peace has been legally declared. And the hostilities have now ceased. Okay. When I, last summer we were in Hawaii. And we were touring, we were touring um, Pearl Harbor. Okay. And... Uh, while we were on the boat going to the U.S. Arizona Memorial, off to the other side, the, the guy on the boat said, hey, uh, right over here is another, another boat. It's the USS Missouri, okay? And let me tell you, my heart just left because if you're a World War II historian, you understand what happened on the USS Missouri. We have an image up here. The USS Missouri was at the very end, you know, the, uh, at the very end of World War II, okay, when the Japanese had surrendered upon the deck of the USS Missouri is where the Japanese and the Americans came to sign the legal document of surrender and peace, okay? 
They signed it, so you see the Japanese signing it there. You see MacArthur standing in front of him that he will, he will sign on behalf of the, of the Americans. And when those signatures, when the surrender was given and the signatures were added, the war was over. The hostilities, the legal pronouncement of the hostilities ceasing at that moment had been done. All right, you can take that off. So, so when we're justified by faith, when we're justified by faith, we now have peace with God. Peace with God. So were we really enemies? To have peace, you got to have hostilities. Yeah, yeah. And if you missed the first part of my message two weeks ago, I talked about God's anger and God's wrath and eternal judgment, okay? Yes, God was not happy, okay, at, at humanity. He, was, his, he had anger against our sin, iniquity, brokenness, immorality, violence. He's angry today with sex trafficking and pornography and abortion. Let me tell you, God's anger and wrath, he's, not, he's a person that is full of joy, but he gets upset with the behavior of people. So yes, there was this moment of, of that, we were, that we were enemies. Look what Romans says. Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So he just says, man, there were hostilities. God was upset at, at the behavior, at the sin of humanity. Okay, So since we've been justified through faith... There is peace with God. So there is a difference in the peace of God and peace with God. Okay? There's a difference in the two. Peace with God means absence of conflict, tranquility, harmony, wholeness, well-being, restored relationship. Okay? So, justified by faith. When the judge says, I've accepted the penalty of the uh, offered by the sacrifice of Jesus you are now you know you are now the righteousness of God you are free then it's done it's settled the sin debt at that moment had been satisfied through the cross of Jesus okay it's over it's settled with humanity with you and I we accept the fact that man that peace has been given okay some wrestle with the belief that they've been saved and forgiven. Now, a lot of people just, they, they pray that prayer. They receive grace through faith. They just get it. It's just, they, they, you know, they don't ever wrestle with it. Man, but there are people out there that really struggle with the assurance of their salvation. Can I really, am I Am I really saved? Some struggle to believe that God's grace truly covers our past and our present and our future. Some struggle with the fact that God can really love us so much that He can overlook all of the iniquity and mess that I made, that I made with my life. So we call it the assurance of salvation. Some, some have trouble truly walking in Walking in by faith and accessing and accessing grace. Some people believe I can never do enough to be saved. I can never be good enough. I never will be good enough 
for God. I can never live it out. I can never do what is expected. I hear that a lot. And, and they struggle with having assurance. And I think sometimes uh, it's the simplicity of it that makes people confused. They have this big list of sins, all of this headache and heartache that they've caused. And now the answer to it is a simple answer of just believing in faith and that God will forgive and restore. I think sometimes the simplicity of it uh, throws people off or the frustration that we feel sometimes that we can't help ourselves. I need to do something. My sin debt is great. I need to do something. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to help with your sin debt at all except surrender and simply take the gift. Just take the gift by faith. All right? So when I was, when I was in youth ministry, I had, I had a young man, and he was, he was out of high school, and he came to church, and he got saved. He got saved. Man, I mean, listen, I told you last week, it's not about emotion when you get saved. It's simply believing, but I'm just telling you, he had, he had tissues everywhere. I mean, it was a beautiful sight, but it was an ugly sight too, if you know what that means. And I mean, he got up, and, and God had done, you know, work in his life. And man, we, he started coming to church, brought his family to church and all that. And then, man, you know, the next Sunday, you know, uh, they give the invitation. He raises his hand. He comes back down. I lead him to the Lord again. And, uh, you know, this, this went on about eight weeks in a row. That every time there was, a, you know, an altar call, he's raising his, he's raising his hand to, to, to come to, uh, to get saved. I, I take him with me. I was going to preach somewhere. I took him with me. I give the altar call. He raises his hand, comes down, gets saved. You know, now let me just say too, as a preacher, it's always great to have those kind of people in the audience. Can I just tell you that? Because you know somebody's coming to the altar, okay? But I just started, I just started having this conversation with him like, you know what, um, you know, like, why, why do you keep coming down to the altar? And he said, well, you know, maybe I've done some things through the week. And I said, well, that's fine. That is a separate issue from your salvation, okay? That's, a, that's another issue that we'll talk about it in a moment. But as far as your salvation, it's settled and it's done. So, I mean, you don't have to come to the altar. If there are things in your life, then we'll kind of work through that. So, okay, got it, got it, got it. So next Sunday, raise his hand, comes down for salvation again. Okay, so I meet him at the altar. I'm like, okay, now listen to me. Listen to me. Listen. All right, here's the deal. Here's the deal. This altar's open. You want to come down for healing? You want to come down to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You want to come down to pray for someone? You do it, okay? But next Sunday, don't you come to this altar for salvation, okay? That's real godly and holy, isn't it? And he's wiping tears. He said, yeah, okay, all right, I got it. Because there's a point where you got to accept and trust and walk into this. So next Sunday morning, this is when all the pastors, you know, kind of sat on the stage and pastors preaching, gives the altar call. Who wants to be saved? Guess who raised their hand? Oh, my goodness, I was so mad. So the pastor said, every head bow, every eye closed. And we do that because there's a lot of drama that goes on when we got your head bow and your eye closed. 
And he's got his hand raised. And I just looked at him and I went, don't you dare. He's got his hand raised and he's going. <laughs> he came down again. I did not lead him to the Lord that morning, okay? All right, but this, let me just say, eventually after a period of time, he came to accept it because sometimes we don't feel like, it doesn't matter how you feel, the courtroom, the legal hostilities have been declared. You're justified. God has accepted in your heart and your life the work that Jesus did on the cross, and you are justified. You are free to go. You are now the righteousness of God. Doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter if you didn't have a perfect week. Look at Romans 4. However, to the one who does not work, but trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So my salvation is not dependent upon perfection after salvation. It's not dependent upon that. It's simply me receiving the work that Jesus did on the cross. So you don't need to get saved every week. You know, you don't. You just need to trust the work that has been done on the cross. And by faith, just receive it. God has made the declaration that the hostilities have now ceased, you have peace with God, and begin to walk in that. Begin to walk in that. It's too simple, right? Needs to be heavier. I need to do something. I need to write a check somewhere. I need to clean the church. I need to work in the nursery. I need to clean the toilets. I've got to do something to kind of counterbalance all the iniquity that I have done. And I'm telling you, that is a righteousness by works and God does not receive it and is offended by it. It is simply trusting in the promise of Jesus for your life. It's simple. It's very simple. It's very simple. If I'm struggling with sin, am I really saved? Am I really saved? Am I struggling with sin? Yeah. If you meant the prayer... God, I trust you, then yes. Sin after salvation is a different question. That's a different part. It's part of our growth. We talked about part of grace is the Holy Spirit cleansing. And that cleansing happens at salvation. And then it works itself out as I mature in the Lord. God doesn't say on day one there better be perfection or justification didn't really work in your life. Wrong. Wrong. When I got saved, you know, when I got saved, my filthy mouth cleaned up just like that. But I had a temper. I mean, I had a bad temper and a smart mouth, okay? And I just want to say, like, I'm not claiming perfection that I would never lose my temper, but I just want to say over the course of time, I have grown in that area and become more like Christ. So the times that I blew my temper in the first month after my salvation did not invalidate the fact that I was justified and that the peace of God, you know, peace with God had been declared and I, that I was now saved. So some people think that if I sin, if I'm struggling in an area, that's, and that's something the devil will tell you too. You're not really saved. You just need to, you need to go back. It didn't take. It didn't take. That's just for the holy people. That's for the holy people there, but not people like you. 
Not people like you. Not for the really gritty, grimy people. That doesn't work for people like you. You're wrong. You're wrong there. You're sincere. God saved you. And now, from the moment of salvation, now, now we've got to work out, you know, and, get, and, and become more like Christ. I had somebody tell me, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a Christian because I don't think I can live it. I, I don't think I can live it after salvation, okay? And I just go, man, that really discounts the work that grace does on the cross. If we could live it, if we could have lived it without Jesus, we didn't need Jesus to start with, right? So if I struggle with sin, am I really saved? Yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. The gospel says to believers, to believers, if you confess your sins, he'll be faithful and just to forgive them of those sins. So he, he says in the life of a believer, there's going to be issues after you come to the cross, but that does not invalidate your salvation. I just want to tell you, that is for somebody this morning. Somebody you're struggling because you can't get some hurdles worked out in your life and the devil's going, well, you're not, really, you're not really saved. It didn't really happen. And that's wrong. It's called growing in your, in your sanctification. So, okay, all right. Last part, last part. Therefore, since we've been justified by, through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and we boast in the hope of the glory of God through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. Keep reading. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So I want to answer this question. Why should, uh, why should I be going through a hard time if I'm serving Christ? Did I do something wrong? Okay. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces character. Now let me just say as a pastor, you know, I deal with this question on a regular basis. It's probably the thing that I deal with people like in their life, you know, more than any other. If I'm going through a hard time, trial, suffering, you know, am I, you know, is this, what, what's, what's going on here? Where is, where is God? And I just want to take a moment. I just want to remind you just of a couple things and the worship team will come when we're walking through, when we're walking through hardship and suffering. So things to remember about hardship and suffering. Okay, real quick. We're not promised, and we're never promised, a life without pain. We never were. It's, just, it's, never, it's never here. You know, like, like okay, you're going to go through a lot of hard times, but, man, when you come to the Lord, it is just roses, money's flowing, job promotions, new homes, new cars. Listen, if that's the place, we would not be able to build churches big enough to house the people, right? All right? So we're not promised a life without pain. And... And some of you are walking through this. You're going, where's God? You know, where's, you know, where's God? C.S. Lewis said, we were promised sufferings. They're part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn and accept. And, and I accept it. I've got nothing I hadn't bargained for. Hold on just a second. I, I just said in a moment, I'm going to call the worship team. And you guys, I just need just a couple more minutes for you just to warm up, get in key. All right. Because once you play the first note, they're in altar call mode, and I cannot finish this message. So, all right. 
So C.S. Lewis says that suffering is part of it. And I'm just telling you, it's part of it. So this, this does not mean if you're going through trial and hardship that your faith has collapsed or that the promises of God have been invalidated in your life. It doesn't mean that. All right? So if you're persecuted, sick, suffering, illness, poverty, discouragement, these are not signs that God has forsaken you. Got it? You hear me? These are not signs that something, that something didn't happen. God is going to use them in your life. All right? So we're not promised a life without pain. Jesus experienced pain and suffering himself. We just read it. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Okay? All right? He's not looking down on something that, and doesn't understand something that you and I aren't going through. God reveals himself in our pain. God reveals himself. The psalmist said, God's close to those with a broken heart. So sometimes it is through hardship and suffering that we really see God's hand in our life. He uses us to ease the suffering of others. There are times that we walk through something and that we have a valid testimony that we can speak to somebody else that goes, hey, you're going to make it because I make it. I made it. So God can use it. But he uses pain and hardship to perfect us. Okay? Now, I would really rather read the book and, you know, see the videotape, you know, on, on that. But he walks us through pain and hardship to perfect us. So what has been your greatest life teacher? Has it been affluence or has it been hardship? What's been your greatest life teacher? Has it been the time of the new house, the new home, you know, plenty of money? Or has it been been times when you were laying with your face in the carpet, you know, crying before God. What's been your greatest life teacher? He uses pain and hardship to perfect us, okay? So, so Joni Erickson, she's 18 years old, and she, living in California, she dives. Most of you know the story. She's a teenager. She dives in. We got a picture of her. She dives into the, the ocean. She breaks her neck. She's a quadriplegic. 16, 17 years of age, okay? She's lived her whole life as a believer and hasn't walked and has very limited use of her hands since that moment, okay? 1967 is when that happened, okay? So here's a woman who has lived in the face of a hardship and trial that maybe you and I will never understand, okay? And here's what she says. When we learn to lean back in God's sovereignty, fixing and settling our thoughts on that unshakable, unmovable reality, we can experience inner peace. Our trouble may not change. Our pain may not diminish. Our loss may not be restored. Our problems may not fade with the new dawn. But the power of those things to harm us is broken as we rest in the fact that God is in control. Okay? All right, you can play now. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So she's going, there's a purpose. God perfects us in his pain, in, in suffering and hardship. We don't like that. We don't like that. But we don't learn life lessons from affluence. Okay? So what does it say? Suffering produces perseverance. What's it, what's it doing? It's working something in my heart. Suffering pers- uh, 
produces perseverance. The quality that we keep going. We're undetoured. We're, we don't give up. We don't quit. When we go through hard times, we don't. Proverbs says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. It's perseverance. If you're going through a hard time, it's not a time to wave the white flag and give up and say God's promises are not true, okay? It's a time where God is perfecting something that He started in you and the day of your salvation. So suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character. Character. So now when I go through hardship, I go through trial, suffering, I lose something. Man, now my... My character, what God's been doing, it's now tested. Do I blow up and go go drink until I'm unconscious? Do I curse until, you know, I've, I've, I've offended everyone around? No, we walk through those times because we're, we're God's, testing, God's testing our character in those times. Am I angry? Am I upset? Am I, am I, am I yelling at everyone? Or walking through this hardship is my character being forged and strengthened and God is really doing a work in my life because normally before I would have done this but now man I can see that God's been working on me perseverance character character hope hope that a better day is coming hope that even though I'm not in it now hope is the belief that something And God simply has not materialized at the moment, okay? So he said there's a benefit to that. Through sufferings, perseverance, character, hope, bathed in love. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. If you're walking through a hardship, you're walking through a trial, don't think where is God, okay? What happened? What happened in my life? I'm just telling you this is part of the trial of faith that people walk through. Just because we're a Christian doesn't mean everything breaks our way and there'll never be a headache or heartache in the world. But what it does say is when I walk through hardship, man, I have a Savior that's walked through pain Himself. I've got a God that reveals Himself in the midst of my pain. And whatever I'm walking through now, God is going to use that in my life to make me more like Jesus. Give the Lord praise this morning. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.